This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast. Powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We are delighted to bring you season four of Driven by Data, the podcast. And our aim remains exactly the same, to bring you some of the most respected and recognized thought leadership figures from the world of data analytics to share their knowledge, ideas, use cases, and insights across how they've tackled some of the industry's most trending topics and challenges. All that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season four. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Zach Anderson, who is the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at NatWest Group. So, Zach, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thanks. All right, thanks for having me. I've been I've been listening to the podcast for a long time, and so I'm uh, really excited to be on it finally. Nice. No, well, the, the pleasure's all ours. We're uh, delighted to have you here. So um, where we always start, Zach, is by asking our guests to give themselves, I guess, a, a brief introduction into their background and journey to date up until this point in time, uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Well, I mean, I like to say that I'm an analyst at heart and by training. Um, so, you know, lots of people in data analytics come from different backgrounds. Mine is actually from the mathematics. I was a, a game theorist uh, uh, in econ and math, and uh, and so that's really my background. But over my career, I've been, I started before we had the title data scientist, really. So uh, um, I've been kind of everything else. I've been a statistician. I've been an advanced analyst. Uh, I've been an economist. I've been... Uh, uh, a quant, uh, all kinds of things uh, before we landed on data scientists, but um, I, I'm probably an early data scientist is the way I would describe it. And uh, probably the notable the notable two things in my career is I've been, prior to joining NatWest, I uh, um, was at Electronic Arts for over a decade uh, and had a number of jobs there, including the chief analytics officer. Um, and now I'm the chief data and analytics officer at NatWest, the bank in the UK. And uh, and also sit on a couple of boards uh, for Smart Data Foundry and uh, One Qubit, which is a quantum computing. Nice, nice. So obviously, your time at uh, EA over in San Francisco, now based in London. You just said you're yeah. at Edinburgh tomorrow, so take your gloves because um, it's going to be cold. Um, yeah. But I guess we we have hundred and I think forty eight different countries as far as the listen, uh, listenership goes here, Zach. So for anyone that's not familiar with NatWest, just give us a kind of high level overview of the business, if you would. Yeah, we're we're uh, it's great. We're a a, a full bank. Um, we service kind of all parts of the UK economy. Um, we're one of the four big domestic banks in the UK. We process about twenty percent of uh, all sterling transactions in the UK. Um, we have 19 million customers uh, across everything from the largest, you know, the largest companies in the world to uh, mom and pop fish and chip shops and right down to retirees and and uh, even young kids in our in our youth proposition. So uh, we, we, we bang at the whole of, of the UK society. really. Yeah, nice. Fair enough. Fine. So obviously you've been at NatWest um, a little while now and I guess, you know, joined there, what? 
four years ish. January will be four years. Okay, very good. Fine. We've already outlasted uh, the average tenure according. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've got one at one at like fourteen years, and now one at four. So uh, yeah, I've been. I, 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 it, they can't get rid of me once they hire me. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I guess just taking it back to four years ago, then I guess what was what was the mandate, or was there a mandate in terms of your purpose for being there? You know, them drafting you in at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, it, at, at face value, it looks like a little bit of a crazy idea to hire somebody from gaming into a into a big retail bank, right? Um, I think what we ended up talking a lot about uh, in those early days when. Uh, when I was deciding to come here and, and was being recruited um, was really my experiences in gaming and building. Um, I mean, we'd done, we'd been a business that had been a, a retail business that had shipped discs to Carrefour and Best Buy and GameStop and game around the world. Um, and then we transitioned to an almost entirely digital business. And then we transitioned from a digital business really to an engagement business and, a, and with free to play games, a really different business model. Um, and then ultimately, I worked a lot on our subscription business at EA also. And so those, all those changes in business models, um, you know, had a lot of interesting analogies to where banking's going um, and, and, and where banking's been. Um, and so I think, you know, that was, that was probably the biggest, the biggest thing that brought me or that made me, made the bank interested in me is I understood both the technical and a lot of the business and consumer ideas around um, what, uh, customer kind of modern digital customer centricity really meant, um, and for me personally, I was excited because of the purpose of the bank. At the same time, NatWest was rolling out its new purpose, which included climate and supporting community and educating people uh, to support their financial soundness. and And those three things really resonated to me. I I, I wanted really to do something. Um, that could have a really big impact on people's lives with all the skills that I've developed over my career. And uh, I was pretty excited by the purpose that that NatWest was laying out. Um, and, you know, banks are a really, I mean, not that games aren't. Games are also an important part of society, but uh, banks are a big, important part of society where they put their capital, the resources that they have, the role that they play in people's daily lives is really an important, important part of everything we do. And you see it in you know, I, I think about it in app usage, you know, most of our customers go into their mobile app almost every day um, and make a transfer, look at their balance, decide how they're going to spend their money, um, plan their vacation, you know, all, all, the, all those things that you do. Um, and uh, that really reflects that importance. And so I really feel like if we can help people manage their money a little better, understand how their money makes them feel, um, man, and us manage the capital that we put into society in a way that generates good outcomes like a, a climate transition um, really is a, a pretty interesting place to do data and analytics, really. Um, and, and, it's been, and it's been a tremendous run for four years. So frankly, um, I mean, we're, we're leading in a, a number of places on climate and have done some really amazing things with customers. And so it's been a really fun, fun experience. Yeah. It's really interesting and, and I guess quite fascinating to hear, you know, someone like you with maybe what would be an unconventional background as far as the industry sector that you'd been working in to then transition to somewhere like NatWest being the premise that you'd been in an industry that banking almost aspired to be like in terms of the change and transformation of where they saw the future state of the industry, which is really interesting. But also, it's interesting also because for me, as a learning opportunity, I think 
operating on purpose. Uh, I mean, with a real purpose is a new way of operating. And, and then the other thing I'd say is the scale and resilience. You know, I joke, nobody really wants a bank to run like a gaming company, um, you know, and, and on the other hand, nobody really wants their gaming company to run like a bank either. So um, so that learning curve for me has been really good. And, and the scale, I mean, EA had 9,000 employees and uh, NatWest has over 60,000. Um, the scale of what we do, uh, just internal operations and resilience and thinking about how we, you know, our, our mainframes are national infrastructure. Um, and so that's, that's was never, you know, I would quite possibly get 100 million people, you know, slamming us on Reddit if a game went down. Um, but uh, um, on the other hand, in, in, you know, people couldn't make their mortgage payment if our systems went down in, in banking. And so those those are really, it's been a really great learning uh, opportunity for me at a personal level, just to learn how a totally different industry and set of standards uh, work. And, and so I've learned a lot. I think the bank has learned a lot from me being here. Uh, and we've done some fun things along the way. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Just give us then, a, if you could, a, I guess, a bird's eye view of what your data analytics uh, well, organization yeah, is. Yeah, what, like. what I do. So, um, yeah, I, I, my my primary role is chief data and analytics officer. We're a, a little over 2,000 people. Um, my organization is set up in a in a federated um, structure. So all of the all of the core infrastructure that I run, so Hadoop and and uh, um, our data lake and our uh, and our Kafka streaming uh, systems, I run both the platforms and the, the systems on top of them. Um, we have a big change activity, which is driving the the really digital and cloud transformation across the bank. Um, and then I have embedded and dedicated teams in each of the franchises and businesses um, that report into me directly, but are um, you know, are really focused on those individual businesses and aligned to their objectives. Uh, and then I have a data management, central data management organization and a central data science organization. Although we have both data management, data engineering, and data science are both central and federated. So the federated teams are, are complete teams is the idea. Um, they have data science in, out there in the, out in the spokes is what we would say, um, and some in the center. And I have a funny two side responsibilities. So I'm also the head of personalization across the bank. So I lead our efforts across personalization and customer. Um, and then I'm also responsible for open banking. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I guess to frame the conversation, and obviously what we're talking about here today is I guess your journey as far as kind of generative AI goes. Yes. And it's been a, a fairly fascinating one from the the brief exchange that that we had. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. Obviously, as with anything that comes when it's new, there's always this, you know, maybe misconception that is this another hype cycle? And, you know, we've been here before with many buzzwords, right, that have kind of been and and, and gone. Um, but keen to kind of start there with you and kind of get your thoughts. This feels to me a little bit bigger, a little bit more prominent than, you know, uh, a hype cycle that we might have experienced previously. What's what's your thoughts on generative AI and the, I guess the impact it's going to have on, on business. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's quite interesting. So, I mean, I've been involved in AI since graduate school in one form or another. So I've, I've, I've been doing AI work and machine learning work for a long time in my career and across my teams. But I, I think, you know, even if I just try to set aside the technology and, uh, and, and what LLMs are and what, what they represent in terms of capability, 
I think what feels amazingly different about this versus any other analytical hype that's happened before is the scale of it is just unprecedented. You know, when we we have educational calls uh, at NatWest with um, where we've just put out, you know, done a we did a big briefing for the whole bank. Anybody that wanted to come and attend, almost a, a, a almost a full day session with a bunch of people coming in and doing education and talking about it, taking questions. And we had almost a thousand people on the call. Um, you know, we're we're trying to set up red teams, and we've got a ton of people just interested in working on the red teams from across the bank. I can go, you know, I went and spoke to the all hands talk at um, Coots, which is our private bank the other day. And we got so many questions, we had to roll over and do another session afterwards at the all hands. I, I mean, the, as an analytics person, it is incredible to see kind of everyday people's interest in AI now, unlike they've ever really seen before. And ChatGPT's really just exploded that. I mean, I think the capabilities are quite amazing also, and it, it's enabling us to bring AI into new processes and to have an impact that, um, you know, that was, that I think will be bigger than machine learning and some of the techniques that we were using three years ago um, will be bigger. But fundamentally, we have a society that's excited about analytics and about AI all of a sudden. Um, and that just, that's, that floors me. <laughs> um, it's amazing. I mean, we they I did a talk at Harvard the other day on AI, um, and they included their alumni, and they had like two thousand people or three thousand people on the thing, and they had to pay to come and see it. <laughs> I was like, wow, you guys are making pretty good money off of this talk. Um, uh, and I, I think they had thought it would only be local inside. They have one classroom at Harvard to do it in, um, but it, it's just that kind of excitement about what's going on and fear and concern everything all mixed together is feels really different to me than say the big data hype cycle or the data mesh hype cycle or the you know all the other hype cycles that we've had around around various things over time um this is this is much a much it might be a it might be a hype cycle as Gartner would say but it it's a much bigger wave than we've ever seen so even when it comes down to normal it's still going to be giant Hello, Driven by Data podcast fans. Greg Freeman, CEO of Data Literacy Academy here. We're really aware that all good data strategies include three key pillars, technology, process, and people. But unfortunately, what we see is far too often, the people strand is ignored, overlooked, and never delivered. If that's something you're struggling with today, visit www.dl-academy.com where you can sign up for your free data literacy consultation and we'll help you shape your people, culture and learning strategy the right way. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, uh, can't agree more than that. I think because, you know, big data and data mesh are probably two prominent examples, right, where we talked about it for within the industry a lot for a period of time and then it kind of fizzled out a little bit um and i guess probably you know chat gpt probably stole the thunder of data mesh to be honest right it, it kind of so so quickly behind it that it kind of pushed it pushed it out but um i guess so from a from a people perspective absolutely you know i guess there's interest right whether you work in the industry or not you know even um everyday people are how do i how can i incorporate this to make my life and my, yeah easier what about from an organizational perspective i guess as far as nat west goes like what, what was the reaction to the promise of 
Gen AI and ChatGPT and what it might do, I guess, day-to-day for your business and your customers? Yeah. I mean, again, I think we've been, we were pretty lucky because we were already on a, a pretty big, when I came in, one of my pushes was to really get AI models broadly into the bank and start being used more aggressively. Um, and so we've been on a pretty big run. We put put in place really good structures and capabilities around ML ops and uh, built a system we call Kepler um, with uh, uh, Amazon as a partnership uh, that's based on the SageMaker tool set. Um, and and we've, we've given a bunch of Amazon talks, which people could look up if they want on what we've done there. And then we also established a set of principles, which we built with uh, University of Edinburgh around explainability and how we use SHAP uh, as part of our pipelines and our tools to be able to make sure that all the models we build are as explainable as possible. LLMs is a little different game there, but so interesting to me in banking is we're really systematic about scouting new companies. Um, we have an outpost in Silicon Valley uh, that works with the big VC funds that's talking to new tech companies, to founders. And so we actually were really lucky. We we kind of got highlighted to the first Llama models that were coming out of Meta, and we're actually using those before, well before ChatGPT came out mm-hmm. um, and starting to play with those inside. Um, the bank, uh, we were doing some work on call summarization where we were using kind of mini mini language models, not large, not quite as large as what we see now, but small language models um, to do some of that work. And and then that network in Silicon Valley really connected us with OpenAI um, as they started to see the buzz around it. So we, we were probably talking to OpenAI maybe 18 months before ChatGPT launched. Um, and I got to go out and, and see a preview of ChatGPT, and that you know I, I I was I was dumbstruck, if I'm honest. <laughs> I mean, and again, I've been working in the industry for a long time, and I came away thinking, wow, this is this is really different. We're going to have to step step into this really hard because um, you could immediately see, you know, in banking we have lots of chat interfaces already, chatbots and. Um, call chats and things to do service. And so you could already see that a really good, even just a really good chatbot was going to be powerful, but then the ability to write emails and to summarize things and to actually generate language content was going to be a really big game changer for all of the complex processes in the bank. And that's, you know, that's really where we dove in. So we so I went and saw OpenAI. It took us a little while to get through security and get it into the bank and get get to a place where we were comfortable using it. Um, but as a result of that, and and the work we'd already done on with the Llama models, um, you know, we were in a pretty good place by the time we were actually already doing pilots with data from outside the bank with ChatGPT before we even got it into our security perimeter. So by the time we got it into our security perimeter, um, we were ready to start doing use cases, and we've got. Two use case uh, LLM or Gen AI use cases live now. Um, one big one just went live last week, um, and we have another ten in development across the bank. So, um, and probably a, a backlog of another hundred after that to do. So, um, a really, a, it's a, it's a. Pr- I think it will be a pretty profound impact on um, the operating process of the bank. And and the reality is, all of those are right now for the most part just to enhance our colleagues. So they all have human in the loop. Um, they're all kind of human in the loop solutions, but they, um, they're they all colleague enhancement. And I think as we get more comfort around the models and learn how to 
um, constraining them from hallucinations a little more. I think we'll start to see more direct action between the chatbots or between the LLMs and our customers. And that's going to be a really interesting interesting space as we go forward. But I, you, you can see, it's not hard to see where it's going to go. I think, I think the interesting question is what happens when, when big companies all have LLMs and you have an LLM in your pocket on your phone and they're interacting with each other. You know, somebody, somebody said to me the idea, which I liked a lot the other day, was um, it's going to be a rarity. You're going to have to say, this is an authentic email written by a human uh, <laughs> just to get people to listen to them in the future. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So basically, you, you, I guess you were already speaking with OpenAI and kind of started integrating it or you know, started the process of trying to integrate into the business before ChatGPT. Yeah, before it even launched. So we're, we're, we're pretty heavily in discussions with them and playing with the models and then with the meta models, definitely six to eight months before um, ChatGPT launched. And then when ChatGPT launched, that just, you know, I would say anybody that thought that was a crazy tech thing uh, that I was talking about uh, were really blown away by it. And, uh, um, and the world is like flipped over in a day, you know. Yeah. I was, I was just going to ask actually what, so what was the impact, I guess, on your stakeholders and the people that you report up to? We've had a pretty good discussion already with our leadership and, and the CEO at the time had been to Microsoft to see um, them and see what they were doing with uh, um, Copilot and, uh, and uh, some other people had also been after I'd been to see OpenAI and OpenAI had come and seen us. And so the leadership team had a pretty good grasp on what was going on. I think um, I think when Chat GPT launched, it really started. Well, two things happened. I mean, the first thing is we had to think about the security. So, so many people were trying and using it, um, and we knew kind of based on the structures of it, and especially those early days of Chat GPT. You know, we knew it. You shouldn't be putting personal information into it. We certainly couldn't be putting bank information into it without it both affecting the model and possibly being able to be extracted at another time. So, um, we had to we had to kind of draw our walls up a little bit and make sure and tell people not to use it in the bank and uh, do some education so that people wouldn't put their own personal information into it um, and certainly not client information or anything like that. So we we had to we actually had to ban the sites and do a bunch of security measures to be able to stop it initially uh, and get some policies out. And then we were able to bring in um, a couple of secure ways for people to use it and start doing experiments pretty quickly within a, within a month or two of it, but actually launching. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then kind of six months later, we now have it fully secure inside of our environment hosted in our security perimeter. So, um, but it, yeah, it was definitely the first, yeah, it was interesting because we were having a discussion that launched. Then we had to lock it all down, and people were having this debate of, well, shouldn't we be doing things? We shouldn't be stopping people from using it. And like, well, we will be doing things, but we have to do it security, securely. As a as a bank, customers trust us with their data and their money, and uh, any breach of that would be a problem. So, um, security is is the baseline first, and then and then innovation as a close close second. But. Um, it didn't, that didn't slow us down too much. We just had to had to do some education with people and and make sure our policies and controls were in place before we could start using it in earnest. Yeah, because I guess the appetite there of using it for innovation obviously is is always going to be great. But as a in working in a very highly regulated industry, right? You know, it's a... yeah. I mean, obviously the regulations matter a lot in this case, but I actually think customer expectations matter even more. You know, the reality is is that. Banks exist on trust. Uh, 
Um, and uh, and the regulators help us maintain that trust and give us credibility in it. But the reality is, is that the customers are the ones giving us the trust. And so um, we wouldn't want to violate that in any way. So. Yeah, no, I mean that makes perfect sense. So I guess obviously you're you're ahead of the curve then before ChatGPT even launched. It's kind of in the process of you know being used within the bank. How do you go about prioritizing where to start when you're thinking about productionizing some of these models? Like you know how what's the prioritization of use cases? Like how do you you know where do, where do you focus? Because as you said, there's a potential million rewards yeah, right? yeah. As, as to what could be done and what could work and, and what might be really move the needle but i guess there's you know there's probably some kind of stream of thought behind well this is the place to start to you know get us on this journey i'm interrupting today's episode to bring you a quick message from one of our latest podcast sponsors cambridge spark I've been doing a bit of work in collaboration with Cambridge Spark over the last several months and I feel that their message needs to be heard and ultimately I feel it complements what we do here at Orbition Group very well. Did you know that according to Boston Consulting Group, only one in four organisations have the expertise they need for successful digital transformation? And as a data leader, you're pressured to link data initiatives to business impacts and the value that that creates. But as we all know, often inadequate data skills across the organization can be the thing that holds you back. Cambridge Spark has a solution. Through government-funded apprenticeships, they help organizations like yours to build data talent without the risks and costs of hiring. Blending online learning with on-the-job work, your team gains the technical skills that they need, you know, Python, machine learning, etc., alongside the business abilities like data storytelling. Apprentices approach projects with specific outcomes in mind. Their learning spreads to democratize data usage across your organization and drive efficiencies. The outcome, a workforce and culture empowered by data to achieve more. If you're ready to equip your team with the data skills needed to accomplish your goals, visit cambridgespark.com forward slash driven to learn more about upskilling through free apprenticeships. That's cambridgespark.com forward slash driven. Cambridge Spark, digital skills for workforce transformation. Yeah, I think the first thing I think in all these cases is to start. <laughs> so yeah. um, it just happened that we had already been doing a lot of natural language processing work um, to be able to do work on on our customer call, recorded customer calls. Um, and so this this was a... And we were kind of already those small language models that I mentioned before. We were already starting to do some summarization and and use them to help us analyze those calls. So this fit right into that work stream. So we were already on the path to do uh, call summarization for our relationship managers and pulling out facts from calls um, and setting up next next actions and those kinds of things. And, and we were using NLP for that. And we were, and to be honest, it's a little bit of a struggle to use NLP for that. It's a little bit brittle. Um, so when the large language models came in, it was easy for us to pivot that work and start to use the LLM to make uh, calls to OpenAI to do that. And that's pretty, or, or to the, the um, bedrock hosted models at Amazon. And uh, so we started doing that really quickly. And that was, that was the first use case. So I don't know if it was a big strategic, like, where are we going to focus? It was more like, all right, we've already got something 50% done. All the data is there. The pipelines are there even some of the interface had been built. So we just were kind of swapping out the underlying engine of it and putting that in. Um, and that that gave us 
And but it also was interesting because it taught us a lot about prompt engineering and about RAG and different capabilities that we needed to learn pretty quickly um, with the models. And then the next use case was a simple one, which was, um, you know, as a bank, we have a lot of complicated policies like HR policies around the world. We, we're in a bunch of different locations and, and we have a really diverse staff from, you know, frontline staff that work in the branches to, to really, you know, senior engineers and market makers and that was markets. So we have a complex set of policies. And so one of the first things we just started to play with 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 was a talk, what I would call a talk to documents use case, which is we've got all these policies. Let's build a chatbot that allows people to ask questions of our HR policies. Just quite simple. Um, and we already had an internal chatbot to help do some Q&A. So again, this kind of fit into that capability and, and enhanced it. And that was another one. And then um, those were kind of both started before, uh, both of those were started before ChatGPT launched. And then when it launched, you know, it was clear that we had to really start to gather a whole, be systematic about the use case development. And so we went through, we built a process and went through um, with each of our franchises and functions across the bank and education around what uh, LLMs are and Gen AI is, and then a use case discovery process, and then a prioritization process for each of those businesses. Um, and then we aggregated those across the bank. Um, so we have, you know, a, a very large number of use cases. Um, and then this, the, the second thing we did is after we, after we developed all those use cases from across the bank, we started to look at them and, and look at really wh what were the patterns that were in there that we could develop that would be reusable. Um, what were the best, you know, we looked at all those use cases for value and impact and feasibility and regulatory compliance and, um, and risk, um, but then also uh, looked at them all for, did they, you know, did they represent a reusable pattern that if we solved this once in this use case, we would get value out of it, but we could easily replicate it. And we, we really came up with five kind of design patterns um, from all of those use cases on Gen AI. Those are what we call kind of what I talked about before, which is talking to documents or extracting data from documents. Um, and that's, you know, that's useful for external website scraping and looking at or um, financial documents or loan documents, legal documents, HR policies, all of those kinds of things. Um, generating content. So we have a, a number of, of use cases where we generate content. In fact, I just spoke at uh, AWS reInvent uh, on a panel about um, some work we're doing to generate uh, ad copy uh, using Gen AI and then also using Gen AI to make sure that it follows the laws around banking, ad advertising copy and our brand voice and all of those things. Um, and then kind of extracting and utilizing data. So I would say like talk to data kind of uh, use cases. So it's it's clear that the LLMs are quite good if you you know, say I want to give a set of data to them, they can summarize it, give you information about it, um, build graphs for it. So there's a, a lot of use cases like that at the bank where we have a diverse data set and we want to enable non-technical users to access it. Um, and then uh, I would say also uh, the the kind of really, so I'd say, I said before, extract data from documents, but now I'd say chat with documents and and generate summaries and ideas from documents. So sometimes that might be 
you know, uh, for our call center staff, they would have a, a set of policies in place or a set of procedures to, you know, update your password or something like that. And um, we have a documented process for that, but, you know, having to read through a document is not the easiest way to extract information always. So um, being able to chat with the document and ask it to pull out things and show you what to do and then say, well, if this doesn't work, what do you do? Those kind of things is a much more natural language. And then the last one is really kind of the automating of processes. So, um, and I'm really excited about some of the um, some of the AI agents that are starting to come out now. Um, you saw ChatGPT, uh, OpenAI just announced agents and some of that from uh, Amazon last week with Q. And I think that kind of agent-based multi-step process is the other pattern that we're starting to see a lot of, which is, you know, a basic chat interface. And then behind that, um, a set of actions being taken that might be, you know, writing a SQL query and extracting information and building a graph or going and hitting an API and getting a set of information or, or updating a record or something like that. Um, and so these agents that have a, a lot of capabilities underneath um, the chat interface, I think is the other big pattern that we're seeing. And, and, and what's interesting about those five patterns is if you take them all, you can kind of recombine them in different ways and get different solutions. And so, um, what we're doing now is in our in our in our work on this, uh, our proof of concepts or the work we're taking to production, we're really looking at those patterns and saying, all right, if you need to load a set of documents in say a rag pattern to an LLM and do prompt engineering around it, here's how you do it. Here's the tool chain to do it. We're going to use this vectorization and this kind of chunking. And, and then we write all of that up, make it available to people to use. And that way it can easily be replicated across the bank without having to do that first set of exploratory engineering on it, which is, which is what we're doing. So the hope is we'll do 10 use cases pretty rapidly. And then we'll see those really proliferate or federate out across the business really, really quickly. And we're already we're seeing some of that. It's a little hard to, sometimes it's a little hard to control actually, but, um, but uh, it's, uh, I think um, I'm excited. The value, the value gain just in efficiency and, and staff augmentation is going to be incredible, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was going to be my next question actually, Zach, because I mean, everything you said makes sense there, right? So it sounds like you've chosen things that you already had a foothold in that you were kind of doing something that was already heading in that direction anyway that's just expedited that journey and then it's a case of looking at well what are the five main use cases where we can reuse this which obviously yeah. makes, makes perfect sense i guess we have a lot of debate in our industry about measuring the impact and the value of our work right yeah. is it any different in this space obviously i think no, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in it it's it's one of the things i put in place as soon as i came to the bank is we have a we actually have for my team, we have an annual target of how much value we're going to generate. Um, and we actually have our finance partners calculate it so that we don't do it ourselves. Um, they track all the benefits that we generate as a team every year. And, and we set that target and it grows and it's a multiple of our cost structure essentially. Um, and uh, so this is the same, you know, um, if, if we, if we, and, and we're pretty, we're pretty, especially in this, in the ML model development and in Gen AI, we're, I would say we're very diligent in the way we run these programs. So we do an alpha um, and in that alpha, we'll do discovery, feasibility assessments, um, talk to the business stakeholders. And part of that is to confirm the benefits. 
And if the benefits aren't there or the stakeholders aren't as engaged as much as we would like, or they're unwilling to commit their, you know, subject matter expert resources, then we just kill it and move on to the next thing. Um, and, and so all the way through kind of alpha, um, alpha deploy, beta, beta deploy, and into production, we're constantly evaluating and confirming the benefits through that process. And if they decrease or if the business case falls away or, the uh, you know, the internal customer is no longer as interested as they were when they started, um, then we'll stop and move on to the next project. And so as a result of that, we're pretty diligent about, I, I run the central data and analytics team almost like a, um, like a PE firm. Um, we invest headcount and we see where it goes. And if it doesn't go anywhere, we kill it as fast as we can. And we move our, our people to the next pro program. Um, and that's fine. I don't, I don't have any judgments if things go wrong. That's, that's all right. We don't, we don't mind that. Um, cause there's lots of efficiency in terms of AI and, and Gen AI in particular to be able to go after. Um, so it's really, if we, if we don't see the benefits, then it will never get live really. <laughs> um, and, uh, so we're really careful about that and, and try to drive that really, really as part of the structure, even of the programs. It's not something we, kind of bolt on at the end and say, Ooh, what was the benefits of doing this? We're more like, all right, we aren't, we aren't really starting unless we know that there are real gains to be had. And uh, I, I think one of the things that's been interesting with Gen AI is it's not cheap, you know, making, making mass calls to open AI running uh, NVIDIA chips in, you know, uh, GPUs in Amazon are not cheap things to do. So if you if you don't have a good benefits case, uh, it's it's probably not worth it to train the models in the first place. Yeah, uh, and so we have to be really careful with that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, wh what I find super interesting is obviously the the whole value debate in the industry is you know is is kind of, it's on steroids now, right? Everyone's talking about it because I guess there's been so much perceived failure and you know because of yeah. practically what you said right you know the benefits case hasn't been agreed and determined up front um but often which is ironic is that it's often fueled by hype cycles right you know so there'll be many companies that will go oh yeah gen ai jump straight in invest a world of money get to the end and go what were the benefits <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. oh okay um yeah. it's it, it's it's ironic i guess yeah i i think it's i mean it's really important i think it's amazing to me that analytics leaders don't do analytics on themselves. <laughs> I mean, I, I talk to a lot of, you know, really smart analytics CDOs and analytics leaders. And I'm like, what are your efficiency metrics? How are you thinking about, you know, improving the throughput of your organization? What are the value generation that you have? What's, you know, as a leader, what's an analytical dashboard that you built for yourself? Um, and, you know, and some people are really quite sophisticated, but there's a great diversity. There are some that are kind of just, you know, going along. And I, I think it's really important to, you know, turn, turn our critical skills on ourselves as much as it is to help the business. Um, so we, we definitely think about, you know, our, our, the equivalent of Dora metrics and our time to value metrics and, you know, our, that, that the AI and data science team, we track, you know, initial idea to when, how long it takes to get into production, how long it takes to get the environment stood up, how long it takes to get to, uh, beta production, uh, I mean to 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 beta, and so we're tracking all of those things across all of our projects, and and then trying to figure out how do we how do we make it go faster? How do what are the long legs of the stool? You know, one of the things when I first got here, actually that Amazon's really helped us with in the SageMaker environment is it it took us a long time to stand up a data science environment, 
Um, you know, it was a weeks long process to get the environment stood up and the data in the right place and all those kind of things. And that that just killed that time to production. So we put a lot of effort in building better pipelines, data accessibility, more data, uh, you know, a, a feature store on cloud that was already there. Um, and that just sped up that process. And we just work through all those things all the time to try to improve the overall efficiency of the data and analytics organization. And, and as a result, have more cycles and generate more value for the business and also reduce cost. And, um, and, uh, and frankly, hopefully have the analysts and data scientists have a little more fun. Nobody, nobody wants to be waiting around to get access to data. They want to actually play with it. So yeah. um, it's a good retention tool too. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Well, look, we could talk all day on this subject, given kind of how prominent it is, but I'm conscious of, of your time. Um, I guess, in regards to Gen AI, then in your use, has that impacted your thoughts around team structure or operating model or anything like that? Or have you just managed to embed it into the kind of current structure that you've got? I'd say I haven't I haven't changed much structure yet with Gen AI, but I, I think we will. Um, I my my gut is that this has a potential to federate way more than any of the previous technologies we've had in these spaces. So, you know, I mean, I think if we're honest, we've all been kind of federating dashboard development and those kind of things with Tableau, QuickSight, you know, all those tools that have come around in the last in the last 10 years. Um, and and some of the easy, you know, SQL based uh, platforms like uh, um, like Snowflake or Redshift. Um, but uh, Gen AI has, you know, the, that talk to data capability of having a business person be able to say, what was my sales last week? How did it trend over the last year as a chat um, is really going to federate basic data extraction and, and some, I mean, and some pretty sophisticated analytics. You can, you know, I don't know how much you, you play around with uh, chat GPT, but you can, you know, ask it to build pretty sophisticated models for you based on data that you've given it. And it'll do those things without you ever writing an equation. Um, and uh, so I think there's a real capability for us to federate and, and do end user enablement using, using gen AI that we've, than we've ever really seen before. And you, you see a little bit of it. If you go and listen to the, the announcements from, from Amazon last week uh, about Q and their enterprise software, you know, what they're saying is they will have bots, uh, chat bots that and business users can use that will have access to their entire, to their company's entire cloud estate, but also do really interesting things like inherit your, your access management tools, inherit the kind of metadata analysis that you have already in there. Um, that just, it's going to make, it's going to make the access to data and analytics pieces of what we do, I think, look really different and that might take a little longer it's it's all a little kludgy right now when i look at it but um but you can see where it's going and uh so i bet in five years how we deliver analysis and analytics to end business users will look radically different than the way it does right now and that'll imply a different structure for an analytics organization for example i think uh, yeah. but well i haven't i haven't changed any any lines on the page yet so um, we'll see, but um, I definitely, I think, you know, I'm pretty transparent with my team that we we are constantly in organizational adjustment to fit what the business needs, to fit where the technology is, what the use cases are. And so 
will continue to adjust like that. I think you know the, this this cycle's moving really fast, and it'll it'll be a, have another set of impacts on the organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know, obviously, every organization and the environment in which they operate is very subjective and contextual. Um, you know, to to them and, and and their business. But I guess there's a lot of debate currently in the industry about where this should sit, right? You know, and who who owns AI now and you know, this whole CIO versus CDO debate that's cropped up over the last few months. Uh, I guess any any thoughts on on that in terms of the effectiveness of of it within the business? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've reported to, I've reported into technology organizations. I've reported into marketing organizations. I've reported into business organizations in my career. Um, I, you know, if I'm if I'm really honest, I don't think the title of my boss has had a big impact on the effectiveness of the organizations that I've run. I think the interest of my boss in analytics and in what we're doing is way more important than than the title of them. So, um, you know, I, I think I think executive support and interest um, is is just really fundamental. And it, it, I've I've enjoyed really good support over my career from a, a number of my of my bosses. I think you know when I came to the bank, um, our CEO at the time, you know, one of the first things we did was when the first ML models that we built uh, came out, she wanted to understand like how the weights worked and what it, how it was set up and what, what we were actually doing. And so we spent a good, um, I think we spent a good three hours with her taking through the guts of a machine learning model that we had built for a fraud, for a fraud use case. And, and similarly with, you know, my, my current boss uh, is, uh, you know, is looking at how to use bedrock in our Amazon environment and actually getting it and coding it himself. And so I, I think that, that kind of interest is what I look for when I'm looking for a job or when I'm trying to assess whether I'm going to be successful or not is um, if, if there's, you know, if people want to understand and they see the value in it, and they want to take time out of it, then that's a, that's a pretty good sign that um, you're going to have a successful relationship. Now they can also still be really tough on you to generate value and maintain cost control and those kind of things. But, um, but I think that's a really good starting point. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Well, look, I'm I'm conscious of uh, of your time, Zach. I guess what I what I'd love to to finish here is this. You know, there's thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of data leaders out there across the world that are now grappling with okay, how do we incorporate and implement and productionize Gen AI to help us, you know, be a better business and you know expedite our our data analytics journey and so on and and, and so forth. I guess. What would be the key things that you would, you know, urge them to consider before diving feet first into this? Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I think, I mean, I do think you should dive feet first in. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. If I'm honest, I think you know what um, the first thing to do is get started and start playing around with it. I think you definitely have to understand the security around it. There are real security risks with these tools. Um, and uh, there are real legal implications. So, you know, one of the things that I don't think people are talking about enough right now is um, where the GPUs are hosted, that your LLMs are sitting. So, you know, because of GDPR and the SHREMS rules, uh, I, as sitting in the UK, we can't export customer data to the US, which means that the GPUs have to be hosted in the EU West or in 
um, or in the EU regions. And uh, so it means that any model that somebody's building that's using GPUs in the US, which is where most of the GPUs are sitting right now, um, I can't use. And uh, because it would be a violation of, of the Schrems rulings. And so those kind of things, I think it's really important to understand your data sovereignty, security, uh, cost structures, uh, how how you're going to get billed and how you manage the accounts. Those those things I think is probably the and and the controls around that are the the first things to really deeply understand. And but but I think at the same time, like you know, uh, I told you about our use case on HR policy. One of the things that my team did was. Um, actually, GitHub has their HR policies on GitHub as a public resource. So we actually started building our chat to HR policies using GitHub's HR policies, all offsite, all on public cloud, you know, not touching any of our data. And we were able to learn a ton about the models and the systems without putting anything that we had in jeopardy. Um, and so that's I think you can be creative about how to get in and start to learn and figure things out because it is a learning process. Um, and so I think that's really important. And then and I think the only other thing that I think is uh, I'm I'm really trying to think about is 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 to hold my current plans really lightly. So these tools are changing things really fast and they are themselves changing very fast. So, you know, the, the use case we talked about about call summarization, you know, I would say when I first showed up and told the team we were going to abandon our NLP work and shift to using LLMs, they, they were probably not very happy with me. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a little rejection. They were invested in the backlog and the process that they were working on as, as, as leaders and, and engineers and analysts. And, and so I think, you know, there's a lot more of those kind of decisions that we're having to make right now because of the change that's happening. Um, and that's, you know, everything from adoption of particular cloud technologies, like, you know, in the Amazon case, if you wanted to use Q the way that they put it out, you're going to have to have their identity management system in the background of it. So maybe you need to rethink your identity management system. Like there's a whole, as we adopt these and we see the changes from both the big cloud providers, but also the startups, it it's almost like you have to kind of throw out your plans immediately and and reassess them constantly every time new news comes out and it's i i feel that right now a lot like i am i am constantly having to reassess how we're building our data lake doing data management what tools we're using what use cases we're doing where we're investing our resources i mean the the llm piece has shifted essentially my central data science team is now only doing um gen ai and pricing modeling um, as the two big areas. And, you know, and there was a much more diverse portfolio of activities that they were doing 12 months ago. Um, and so we had to pivot all those plans, finish or wrap up the projects, get the teams into the new place, bring in some new skills in certain areas. You know, the Gen AI space requires kind of app development as much as uh, model building and data science. And so we had to bring in some app development capabilities. So we we there's a lot of pivots, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and and the problem is, is if you hold on to your old plan too long, you're just late. And so I would say hold your my my big advice would be hold your current plans really lightly, even hold your Gen AI plans really lightly. 
um, as we see the developments going on, we have to you have to make lots of pivots and adjustments as new information comes out um, and try to really deeply understand it. I mean, you know, I mean, even even the simplification that OpenAI did with adding RAG capabilities into their basic tool has meant that we've had to change how we're using OpenAI in our environments. And that was, you know, that only came out a few months ago and it's radically changed how we're building our our talk to documents models already. So mm-hmm. those it's uh, you know, if you want to put your head down and just drive at something, it's a really dangerous time to do that, I think, as a data and analytics leader. It's you really gotta be head up and looking around and seeing. You know, seeing how you want to adjust the sales to get to the place you want to go. Yeah, perfect. Well, that's um, yeah, absolutely solid, um, solid advice, Zach, and uh, brings us right to to time. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a, an insightful and fascinating conversation. Um, great to speak to you as always, and um, yeah, we we'll look forward to speaking yeah. to you again soon. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, and th- thanks for all your support of the industry over the years. It's it's just great. The the podcast and the magazine, everything else that you guys are doing is really incredible. Um, and uh, as a, as a, a practitioner of the industry for a long time, it's great to have you as our champion on the outside world. So, thank you very much. No, I appreciate the kind words. Thanks a lot. episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics until then please follow Orbition group on social media if you've not already done so where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive and please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.